0: Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another week. This week going back to 1989 and we're going to do an American band, Hellstar, which um, I'm very uh, very happy to be doing this. This is a band that's been around since we were born. They came out in 1982. We're getting uh, around to them here almost 35 years after this album Nosferatu came out. But before we get to Hellstar, how are you, my friend?
1: Oh, I'm doing good. I, I finally have caught up to a lot of the albums that have come out the last few weeks, so I'm excited to talk about a little bit of that. Uh, talk about Hellstar, which um, you know I went into detail last week about. You know how that came uh, across my radar. Um, and uh, some exciting news to talk about towards the end of the episode. So uh, a lot of a lot of good stuff this week.
0: Uh, d- d- I guess let me let me start by asking you this. It's it's April twenty second. It's it's Earth Day. Uh, have you eaten your beets today or not? Not not yet.
1: <laughs> um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna wait a little <laughs> bit. Um, because I haven't recycled, but once I do, <laughs> once I recycle, you have to do things in the correct order. Um, so that, you know, once I recycle, then I'll eat my. Beans. I
0: can't, I can't argue with that. Shout out to Devin. We probably should have done that episode this week, but I, I digress. Um, I, I I listened to an album a couple of times this week that I was blown away by. Not so much because of the songwriting, although he happens to be one of my favorite songwriters, but have you had a chance to give a, the the Magnus Carlsen's free fall album, Hunt the Flame, a good listen?
1: Yes, I did. Um, a couple of days ago, uh, I was really impressed by the, the array of vocalists that were called upon to do this album because it was like half Guys that I was aware of, like Michael Erickson from Circus Maximus and uh, Terje from Pyramids um, and, like, the guy who sang for Celeste, <laughs> who we talked about on the Keepers of Jericho Part 2 episode of the podcast, um, who which I think that band has been um, dis- disbanded for quite some time. And then there's just this handful of people that I've legit never even heard of, and they were all really good. Like, this was... Uh, a really good, I mean, Magnus Carlson is a really excellent songwriter and I don't know that he's really, um, breaking any new ground with these albums, but like, it's always a, it's always just a really solid melodic power metal kind of vibe, like just a really enjoyable listen. And this is, uh, this is no, uh, no exception. Um, a little bit less on the like names, like having like a Russell Allen, like in the past, but, um, I think I kind of like that, that it's a little more obscure uh, vocally. Uh, what were your thoughts?
0: I have been listening to this guy's work for so many years. And every time I listen to one of his albums, whether it's this or whether it was anything else, any collaboration he's done, I always say to myself, like, I've been there, I've done that, I've heard it, but yet I love his his songwriting, even though it's kind of formulaic. But With this one, I was just so impressed by the vocalists uh, that he had gathered for this. I mean, even the ones that are familiar or very familiar to us, these are not like household names by any means. I mean, he got some guys on here that are just kind of like the new crop of rising stars. Uh, You know, he got the singer from Crown. He got um, the singer from... um, what you might call it from um sinner's blood uh, you know a lot of frontiers bands but like just a lot of of talent out there and as I'm listening to each of these songs I, I was just blown away by the uh the 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 voice and the passion that some of these guys sing sing sang these songs with I thought it was a great album I was pleasantly surprised because with with Magnus you kind of know what you're gonna get but I was I, I and and that's a good thing right but here I think they just took it to an entirely new level with the, a lot of these young uh, hungry vocalists. I, I was very impressed.
1: It it's kind of like uh Frontiers just gave him like a roster of vocalists and was like, here you go, like call these guys, they'll do they'll do whatever you want. And uh I I mentioned to you it was really great hearing Michael Erickson's voice because Circus Maximus is way overdue for another album. I mean it's this is a band who's been around for a while and they only have what, four albums at this point?
0: Yeah. Maybe I, five, I, but I think four. I just hope that they're a thing. I feel like um, they're a band that hasn't done anything in a while, and you just wonder, like, are, are they through? But I, I don't think so. Like, I feel like they got another one in them. I just, uh, it's a matter of time before we hear it. But needless to say, uh, an underrated band, to say the least, and somebody we, we need to cover on the podcast, to be honest with you. It's been a long, long uh, time since we've, you know, you know they they kind of gotten lost to time because they haven't released anything new. But it uh, doesn't mean it doesn't warrant a discussion
1: agreed i think um i feel like circus Maximus might actually be a good uh a good subject for a, a career retrospective just because they don't have a ton of material so i don't think it would be a very uh intensive listening experience because like i said i'm pretty sure there's only four albums I, I think it's if nine was their third album there was only one more after that i believe so um i think they only have four albums i don't think it would be that much of a slog and their albums are good so it would be a fun a fun experience yeah their their
0: last album came out in 2016 it was called havoc um mm-hmm. and and since then they've been kind of dormant so we're, we're we're getting into that seven year range at this point so it's it's been a while but uh yeah only four full length albums for them uh, and another band that's kind of returned after what seemed like a bit of a hiatus. And and I only say that because their last album, if I'm not mistaken, was really a covers album, but that's Anubis Gate, a band that like never gets talked about with many of the bigger names in the industry, but like every album they put out for the most part is really good. And they came out with a new single called emergence It came out, I think, either yesterday or the day before and it's anticipation of their their next full length album which is coming out on June 2nd the album is called Interference did you have a chance to to hear the new uh new tune
1: I did not even realize the single had come out uh so I'll have to grab that and give that a listen and then I will it's, report back It's
0: very good I think you I think you're going to like it they're just it, it's it's in that bucket of like accessible prog that I feel like we really kind of hit the sweet spot for you, but um anything else that you've had a chance to check out that maybe I even missed?
1: Um, man, I don't want to like make a long list, but I did listen to quite a bit, <laughs> quite a bit this week. In addition to listening, I listened to Nosferatu six times. Uh, I really wanted to make sure that it was really stuck in my head. Um, I, uh, i'll I'll try to pick out some of my favorites. I finally got to listen to Ad Infinitum's Chapter Three Downfall album, which I really enjoyed and much like the chapter two album um I have a feeling that this is gonna get better with each listen the more I really let it sink in. I've only gotten to listen to it once um I got to listen to finally to the Crownlands Fearless album, which um I you know I'd heard so many people say this was kind of like a a modern day version of Rush. Uh, couldn't agree more, and I, I actually enjoyed this quite a bit. Um, really good, solid prog rock. Um, just uh, good stuff. I I liked it a lot. They opened up with an eighteen minute plus song. So that uh, that
0: song is like the second coming of twenty one twelve. It really is, and I gotta be honest. I liked the album when I first heard it, and then I listened to it again, and I really liked it. And I keep going back to it. Like there's some, there's something about that band that I just keep going back to. And what's fascinating is it's two guys. It's two guys with the vocalist. I think the drummer actually does vocals, and then the other guy does like all the instrument. I mean, it, it, it's wild. The the sound that they get out is is just really impressive. And they're a band that I think we, we need to keep a, a closer eye on because I, I have a feeling that they've got some big things coming in the future
1: i like that they were like well if rush could do it with three we'll do it with two. yeah right. so exactly. Like exactly um i have one other album i want to mention and then i'm going to throw to you a little uh, a little something but um i listened to the the archon angel album too uh, i think we had mentioned it last week on the podcast but i hadn't actually listened to the whole thing yet and uh, i finally did and um I just, it just makes me smile whenever I get to hear Zach Stevens sing. He's one of my all time favorite vocalists. It goes back to my um, early days as a metal fan. My first metal album was Handful of Rain by Sabotage. Like, he's probably the first metal vocalist I ever really liked a lot. Um, And, and he's just, uh, Seeing him with TSO, like it just brings me so much joy. So this was really cool because this is a band that I think doesn't really sound like Sabotage. This is more of a European power, like European power prog type of of music. So it's interesting to hear him do kind of like a different uh, style instead of kind of that American traditional heavy metal that Sabotage does. This is a little bit more, uh, I don't know, it has more of a European vibe to me, probably the fact that. There's a guy from Secret Sphere that's part of it, has something to do with that. But uh, I enjoyed this a lot. And and we've been seeing a lot of positive comments about it on the uh, Metal Exchanges Facebook group from some of our uh, group members. Um, What did you think of this one?
0: So I think the first album had more of a sabotage feel than this one did. I think that the first one, I think they were trying to kind of clone that Edge of Thorns sound in many ways. And then I think with this one, they took the next step and it's got more of, as you said, more of a European flair to it on this one. I liked it. I, I didn't. It didn't blow me away. I don't, I'm not going to say it's my album of the year or anything like that. But it was a very good listen. And anytime Zach Stevens sings, I, I will at least check it out. This being no different, I thought it was very good. I, I think I'm one of a few people in the world that can say I've seen this band live. Right. So like that. That off the bat is 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 was one of the coolest things I had seen. Because anytime I hear Zach sing live, I'm 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 all in and then some. Um, but I have a feeling that uh, this will not be the end of the band because this seems to be getting a lot of positive traction, like you mentioned.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, maybe Zach Stevens will be on your album of next year. We'll see. Well, um, that's
0: entirely possible, but we'll, we'll save that for the end because I'm, I'm excited um, to talk about that.
1: So the last thing I wanted to bring up was uh, an interesting thing that came up again in the Metal Exchange's Facebook group. And it was, what did you like better, the new Metallica or the new Overkill, uh, two classic Thrash metal bands, one a little bit more uh, famous than the other, but a um, lot of. Uh, I don't think I saw one person say they preferred Metallica over Overkill. It was Overkill uh, by by uh, unanimously. Uh, what did you What did you think of these two uh, these two albums from these thrash uh, legends?
0: Well, maybe one legend and one uh, you know you know one step below that. Although obviously Overkill has been doing it for for decades as well here's what I think I listened to the Metallica album first and I have to say when I heard the first single I was kind of impressed just because it it had some punch behind it right like it was a little more it was a little punchier than I kind of expected uh from the band at this point but I was I wanted to hear the full album and I I sat down I listened to the whole thing and what I can say is that there were like three or four tracks that I thought were really good, and they kind of harkened back to that earlier sound where they just kind of had that um that melody that that Metallica has been known for throughout the years. But the rest of the album I kind of struggled with it wasn't bad it wasn't a difficult listen it just didn't grab me as much as I thought it would um i'll I'll give it another chance. I thought it was a good album, an easy listen. And, you know, if you're a Metallica fanboy, you're going to love this album. But being as uh, trying to be a discerning listener, I thought it missed the mark on the whole. And then I listened to the Overkill album. And to be honest with you, other than the one album we covered back in the archives, I, I don't know this band as well as I probably should, but I wanted to hear the new album. And it was great. And I loved it. And I said to myself, this is really good. The production was top notch, the guitar work was phenomenal. Bobby Blitz sounds like it's 1987 all over again. Like I just, I thought, I mean, I, again, for, for his vocals being what they are, I just thought it was a really good album. And it it, it was, it had that punch that I thought the Metallica album was lacking throughout. And I, I I can't disagree with the masses here. I thought the Overkill album was a better album, top to bottom. And I didn't think there were any weak songs on there. I'm not saying every song is my song of the year, but it was just a really good, enjoyable thrash metal album.
1: Well said. Um, I really, I enjoyed both. Um, my expectations for the Metallica album were pretty minimal um, because in all honesty, like I never really liked St. Anger. I thought, um, I thought, uh, why am I blanking on the last one?
0: Um, Death Magnetic. Is yeah. That-
1: Death Magnetic. I thought was solid. Um, if not remark, you know, if not remarkable or, or whatever, but um this was good. Like if you, I think if I went into it, like hoping that it was going to be like the album of the year, then yes, it would have been definitely disappointing. But I think being that, like I had no expectations at all, I just found it to be a very solid, if not radio friendly, heavy metal experience, like just kind of like putting on XM satellite radio and listening to liquid metal, you know, for an hour. Um, Whereas the Overkill, I thought, was a little bit more true to the thrash metal, like the old school thrash metal sound. And a band that I like, I used to make fun of, and now I'm actually kind of a little bit of a fan of I'm going to go back to, to listening to this uh, again. I think, a- at the end of the day, I think I'm going to probably rank this higher than the Metallica album. But as of right now, I'm just kind of like a soft, soft enjoyable for both of them. I, I, I They were just really... Um, they just kind of fit the mood that I was in. I think this week of just hearing something like you said, punchy was a good word to describe it. Just something to like help get you through the workday kind of deal. Um, and so um, between those two, and then listening to uh, Hellstar, like I really got my dose of, of kind of thrashy music this week.
0: And just wait because uh, you know obviously at the end we'll reveal out our album for next week, but I'll kind of give a little bit of a hint. It's another thrash album, and that one I think that if you are Warming up to bands like Overkill or Hellstar, who has thrash tendencies for sure. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on next week's album because it is not one of the big four, but it is widely considered one of the best thrash metal albums of all time. So we'll we'll get there uh, at the end. But um, you know, with that, let's let's talk some Hellstar because this was really interesting for me. Um, it's not often that we talk about an American band that's been around for 40 years or 40 plus years at this point that really, no disrespect, they never hit it like a band like Metallica or even an Overkill. It's a band that's kind of been under the radar for many, many years, and they they, they, they put out a series of albums going back to the mid to late 80s took a little bit of a hiatus and then came back in 1995 and have kind of been putting out albums or compilation albums or, or, you know, some, some new studio material the last 10 or 12 years. But it's interesting because it's like a band that never goes away. They hang on, but they never quite broke through in my opinion.
1: Well said. Uh, It's interesting. They, um, they were on the combat records label to, to, to start their career, which um I know of because that was uh, Sabotage's original label. Um, Sirens was released on Combat Records, and I believe the uh, Dungeons Are Calling EP as well uh, before, I believe, Power of the Night was their first album on the Atlantic label, or maybe Fight for the Rock. I can't remember which of those two. but um, And uh, I believe um, Megadeth and Exodus, according to Wikipedia, were also on that uh, label as well. So some some pretty notable names there.
0: Yeah, and 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 this, you know, it, it's it's funny because they and they stayed with them longer than a lot of those other bands. But when you look at the the body of work here, you're talking about a band that has released, I think, close to close to ten or twelve studio albums over the course of the years, and a band that still does play live, right? You see them at festivals. They play in Europe. They play throughout the States. I mean, they're not doing full tours, but they are an attraction to this point, and they still have a number of their original members in the group. I'll kind of walk you through the lineup for a little bit, but uh, James Rivera, the vocalist, has been doing it now since 1982, which is just absolutely um, wild to me. And then you got this dual guitar attack, Larry Barragan, Who was a founding member, left the band, kind of came back in 2006, but he remains in the fold. And on this album, their other guitar player, Andre Corbin. And then you've got uh, Jerry Abarca on bass, on keyboards, which I have a lot of thoughts about that towards the back end of the album, and Frank Ferreira on drums. So the the lineup has changed quite a bit over the years. This is more of their classic lineup, but James Rivera, and for the most part, right? For the most part, Larry Barrigan. They've been with him for decades. So um, that's kind of like the driving force behind behind this act.
1: Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Pretty Maids where, um, you know, uh, uh, Ken Hammer and Ronnie Atkins, the guitarist and vocalist, have been with the band from the beginning. But like everyone else has been kind of like in and out over the years. Uh so it's kind of similar in that in that respect. It's that they have those two guys that are kind of the the rock, the bedrock of that uh, of that band, and then you kind of have these other members kind of come in and out. But you you know, even like a band like Halloween, when you think about it, like uh, now that Kai's back in the band, you add him to the list. But really, they went years with just Wikey and and Marcus as the original band members that were still there i mean now at least kai's back but even kisk isn't really an original member of halloween when you think about it um
0: no darris has been in the band much longer than he has when you when you look at the full body of work
1: yeah so but as far as like that original long term or that original lineup like there's really like yeah it's 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 kind of interesting but it is cool that um that james rivera is still uh still doing it. Um, I, I'm curious what he sounds like these days. Cause this is really like my only exposure to the band. Um, and this, you know, like we said, this album came out in 1989. Um, so yeah, this was, uh, interesting. Uh, according to, uh, Wikipedia also their band's first arena show was in December 85 opening for Striper. So that's a pretty good start. Striper was pretty big in 1985. So it's a uh, good way to, good way to start. Um, this album, I believe, was their uh, second album on Metal Blade Records. Yeah, I think that's right. The record, the Metal Blade uh, label, which um, continues to be a, a pretty, a pretty big uh, record label um, to this day. But um, at the time, that was one of the biggest heavy metal labels uh, in the U.S., if not the biggest.
0: For sure, and and so this album, like you mentioned, it comes out in 1989. Specifically on November nineteenth, and the entire the entire presentation here is based around Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is kind of interesting. And what I thought was cool because I, I I'll just kind of put it in, out front so I don't have to keep repeating myself. But there are audio samples of um, Frank Langella's, you know, essentially the film adaptation of Dracula on all of these tracks. Like you hear like the the bits and pieces interspersed usually at the beginning of each track, which I thought was a kind of a cool thing to do. And I'm not sure people were doing stuff like this uh, back in 89, but it's interesting because this album, I I certainly can't comment, but from what I gather, widely considered one of, one of if not their best album um, and and one of their most popular for sure.
1: Yeah. And I could see why, like this is, um, you know, we always talk about like albums that were, like right for their time. And I feel like this was right like for nineteen eighty nine, um you know metal's still kind of a force in the US. Like this this album I think really hit right at the right time. I feel like if this had come out in like ninety one or ninety two it might have um might not have of got as much fanfare as it ended up getting. So I think the timing was was right and it also seemed like it kind of marked the end of that early era of the band because it sounds like a lot of the members left after this release i mean the 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 band basically broke up for six years after this and then um i don't know that a lot of those original members would would end up coming back
0: yeah and they would change labels i mean a lot a lot changed and we've talked about this in the past between eighty nine and ninety five, so much had changed just in the whole genre in general that I guess it's not terribly surprising. Um, but you know, a, a good album to really dip your toes into the Hellstar waters. So um, I'm glad you chose it because it was a band that has been on my radar for a long, long time, and I just never, I just never dove in. So this kind of forced my hand a little bit. Um, I think that I knew a couple of songs throughout the discography. Where I had heard a couple of things. So it wasn't completely foreign to me, but it was never, I've never done a deep dive. So this was definitely a first for me. And I, I guess if I was going to describe it, I would call them like an American power metal band, but with elements of thrash throughout. Um, almost a precursor to an iced earth. And I I know we don't, I know it's like talking about Voldemort in these parts, but like they to me it was like a real precursor to to that like american power metal sound that would become more popular about 10 years later
1: yeah i'd say that that's uh pretty spot on um i think there's there's some speed metal elements too and this is kind of like that i think this is really like you don't really like see a lot of speed metal anymore or at least bands that are considered speed metal but around this time like You know, early Halloween, uh, early Blind Guardian, like those were bands that I think were considered speed metal. Um, So yeah, this is really kind of like this marriage of power, speed, and thrash. Um, Like for whatever reason, like Wikipedia doesn't really mention anything about this being like a thrash thrash album, but I think it's very thrashy. Um, But like, kind of like a, a an accessible thrash because of the. The power metal and and the speed metal influence to it, um, which I think makes it a little bit. There's more um, melodies. There's more melodicness to it, which was like one of my big, um, one of the big things that made that made me not a huge fan of the, the Anthrax album that we talked about. Was that it just kind of lacked the melody that I, I really like that comes with a power metal kind of band. And this, I think, it. It was a, a nice marriage of the thrashy guitars, but with you know melodic songwriting elements. So to me, it was um, this is something that I it is easier for me to to, to sink my teeth into.
0: I, I think that's a fair point. And before we jump into it, let me just say one more thing. I think that there were a couple of tracks in here that were very different from the rest of the album, and it helped break up a little bit of the monotony here. In certain areas but it was really well done and I'll, I'll i'll mention them when we get to them but they they were calling on some elements which i was not expecting like not expecting at all when the album started so it was kind of a, an, an interesting listen um jumping into it the the album starts with about a minute intro called rhapsody in black it has like this acoustic guitar almost like a classical guitar thing going on which has I know this is going to sound nuts, but it almost reminded me of like a modern day Blind Guardian and the way that they use their acoustic guitars um, that kind of kick this thing off, and then it comes in with this riff, right? This really, really heavy riff with the snares behind it—a uh, kind of a cool intro. Not not as flowery as some of the intros we hear today, but still a very good intro to what's otherwise a you know a, a you know a heavy metal album, if you will.
1: Yeah, it it almost feels like that first minute is really just the part of baptized in blood. I think yeah. like it kind of just leads right into it. It, it. I think if they were one track, I don't think anybody would have really thought twice about it. Um, but yeah, just a solid way to kind of kick things off. And then it goes into this song baptized in blood, which um, correct me if I'm wrong, was
0: the most popular song from the album. Uh, not entirely sure. So if anybody knows, we'd love to hear from you. But um, I I got the sense it's one of the more popular songs on the album. Ironically, not one of my favorites. Like there's a lot of stuff that I happen to like better. This one has a bit of a thrashy feel to it. What I didn't love, I thought the drum patterns and I think the drumming on this disc is quite good. I just didn't think that this particular track was exceptional i thought the guitar work really stood out on this one and and james rivera that young voice of his where you know it's 1989 he sounded great so it's this song is tight this song is fast um but i didn't love the backing vocals it it kind of just really brought me back to 1989. nine it lost me a little bit um and some of these faster vocal lines almost reminded me of like a rap influence in a way just the way that the, some of these vocal lines are delivered towards the middle and end of the uh song it's it's a solid song i just didn't i wasn't blown away by it whereas we'll get to some other tracks that i i thought were better i would probably put it around the middle in terms of um my palatability yeah, i this was actually towards the top
1: for me it wasn't my favorite but I, I was one of the ones that i thought were the most uh was the most memorable um maybe just because it was at the beginning and it was just like the first taste but um it's it's catchy i i feel like it has a really like a really cool energy to it um just a nice this is a really nice pace um just a like really just kind of fun thrashy power metal song i love the, during the solo where the guitar just kicks in, speeds up, and it's just like, you know, th- there's a lot of like really, um, I think we'll talk a bit more of it because there's a, a, an entire instrumental track later on, but there's a lot of um, technical guitar work that I think is kind of buried underneath all the thrashiness, but there there's some really solid uh, instrumentation going on here. And I think like, this is an example about two and a half to three minutes into the song. There's just this really well done, like really like just very good guitar solo. Uh, I was really impressed by that. I was like, Oh damn. Like, We're not just here to thrash. Like we're we're gonna be like a little technical too.
0: I was shocked by that. I think that's a great point. I I got this feeling throughout the entire album that there's a lot of technical proficiency on display that I was not expecting. Right, like going into it, I kind of had one vision, or at least what I thought it was going to be. But there is this is a very technical album through and through, and I think you hear it on every track to different degrees. Um, But it was. That was a surprise to me. Um, so I, I – I, and I appreciate that. Like to me, that's definitely a good thing because it kind of breaks it up a little bit. Uh, the, the, the next track, this is the first time I think we're going to talk about Shakespeare on the, on the podcast, but a, a little nod to Hamlet with the, with the track, the title of this one. And I got to admit, one of my favorite titles ever for a heavy metal song, it's called To Sleep, Perchance to Scream. I love that. I thought that was such a cool title. It made me chuckle, but at the same time, made me think of Mr. Biagi's 11th grade English class. So, cheers. <laughs> um, this song is, was one of the most fascinating songs on the album. The way the starts with these drum fills that were phenomenal, I, it gave me a bit of a Jag Panzer vibe, a contemporary of this band for sure, and another American power metal band. What I liked about this track more was that it was a touch slower. And it almost helped highlight these awesome guitar riffs that permeate the whole thing. There's like these little instrumental sections that are are found throughout this song, which really break up the the verses and the choruses. And I thought it was just really well constructed. Um, This is one of my favorite songs. It was in consideration for Song of the Week. And maybe the biggest key to this thing, this song has a very, very strong early conception vibe to me and i thought that was really really cool like it reminded me of that first conception album which i love maybe more than any other track on the album um just a really cool song with a really cool title i'm curious to see if you agree
1: um that whole intro that you did for this song is like you just took the words right out of my mouth like i i also thought the title was just a hoot. Um, and I, I was just like, man, like Bill Shakespeare got, has got nothing on these Hellstar guys. Um, it, it's, it's very clever. And like you said, probably one of my favorite heavy metal song titles of all time. Just, just great. Um, it's it's also a really solid tune. I, I enjoyed this one as well. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned conception because that was kind of the reason that, that Chris uh, gave me this album. Cause he thought that, um, Something that we had mentioned about Conception uh, when we did the career retrospective kind of reminded him of of this album, um, which so I'm glad that you – I was going to actually – I was saving it for the end. I was going to ask you if you picked up any Conception vibes, but you uh, you got got to it. This was the
0: one. Now, I'm not saying you can't find it in other spots, but more than any other, this gave off those vibes. And I'm curious to see if Chris would agree with this assessment that it was this track more than any other. Because uh, The Last Sunrise came out like two years after this. So they're really kind right. of contemporaries in, in terms of of, of structure. Uh, shout out to, to, to Doug and Ralph who are currently on tour with Conception in Europe. So uh, shout out to friends of the show. But um, the, just really, really fascinating. It's kind of funny how things come full circle here.
1: It also kind of like reminds me that that first Conception album was very different from what would – follow and that it was a little bit more raw and a little bit more thrashy and a little bit has a little bit more of a speed metal vibe to it, it it's kind of uh interesting uh, you know those those for especially those first couple of tracks like building a force and war of eight are really
0: uh, like borderline thrashy songs like so and tor said that right when we spoke to him he was talking about how like their influences clearly changed throughout the years
1: i completely forgot we even talked to him that was so <laughs> long ago um there you go. Uh, I, we should, if we'd known, we would have asked him if Hellstar was any uh, influence, influence on, on that album. But um, anyway, uh, we move on to uh, Harker's Tale, Massive Death. Uh, your your thoughts?
0: Uh, where again, not that I didn't enjoy the opening track, but to me, this is also uh, in that upper tier of songs. I thought this was a really interesting song. That riff that just permeates this track over the drum fills, awesome. And, and I have to say, I thought the production on this track was arguably better than any other track on the album. I thought it's a pretty good sounding album for using the 2023 lens, you know, going back almost 35 years. I don't think I, I think it could probably use some touch up, but it's it's otherwise it's pretty good um they the worst, worst
1: sounding albums that came out in 1989. They for were sure. worst
0: sounding albums that came out in 2022. So you know, <laughs> I I, I, I I'll, I'll just leave it at that. I think that the vocal performance here is just absolutely off the charts. And what I loved about this track, I think, was that there was actually elements of Prague here, like there, the way that there this is kind of structured. Um, it takes some unexpected twists and turns. Which I wasn't expecting, and it's one of the mortgage. Uh, it's one of the better guitar solos on here as well. Um, as you kind of get deeper and deeper into this, you know, four and a half minute song, it also really kind of picks up steam as well. So I like the, the changes of pace. Your thoughts? Uh, I I'm pretty much with you. Um,
1: I feel like after. The last track, which kind of had more of a mid-tempo kind of vibe, this kind of picked the speed back up again. Um, Like you said, kind of similar to "Baptized in Blood," I think tempo-wise. I I thought the, like you said, the drumming on this was really impressive. Um, Just, just uh, there's uh, there's some real impressive high notes here. Like this is just kind of like everybody just kind of wigging out, so to speak, on their instruments and, vo- and voices, just like, here we go, like, this is going to be like one of those all-out kind of uh, thrashy, power, speedy tunes, like, just uh, just like a really enjoyable kind of, uh, if you like this kind of music, like, it's just uh, very powerful, just kind of smacks you right across the face in a good way.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And then when you need a little bit of a let-up, it comes in the form of the next track, which is called Perseverance and Desperation. This is a really different tune. Talk about this one for a little bit and your thoughts, because to me, this it's like this. When we think this is going to go one way, it goes in a completely different direction.
1: Yeah, this is like um, almost like taken from the pages of of Ingve. You know, just this really like almost neoclassical style guitar work. It actually reminded me of Roland Grappo's parody of Ingve, uh, the, you know, the Grapowski Mound suite in D doll, whatever. Um, which even though it was a parody is actually really cool. Kind of like Ingve style, uh, role in just doing an Ingve style. I don't think this is so much a parody as much as it is a, uh, a tribute in a lot of ways, but, um, it, it, I, you know, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but this is kind of a, a, a almost like a technical expo, uh, so to speak, just like we're going to give, uh, we're going to give the vocalist, uh, James, a little bit of a rest, and we're going to show everybody that the guitar player, uh, the guitar players really have some chops here. Um, I really like this. I thought this was a cool track to just kind of break things up a little bit. I was not expecting it at all. Um, just a really cool, um, just like a really cool kind of uh, song that's kind of towards the middle of the album just to kind of break things up. And if you're into that kind of just, um, almost wanky style kind of guitar. I feel like our friend Brian, uh, Brian R., not Brian C., uh, would uh, would dig this because he, you know, how he feels about, um, you know, really good, good, like technical guitar work. Um,
0: and wanky. Yeah, I thought,
1: this was re- I thought this was really cool.
0: I, you took almost every word right out of my mouth. Um, the Ingve, the neoclassical, uh, just a top-notch instrumental track and although it has the, the 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 wankery vibes, I didn't find it completely self-indulgent. So, like, really, really good stuff. I also love the bass solo. There's a freaking bass solo on this song, which just comes out of nowhere, and underrated bass lines throughout the entire song. Top notch. Uh, I'm not choosing it as my song of the week, but it definitely could have been because I, I enjoyed it that much, but I wanted to give it to something that kind of... Um, showcased james rivera a little bit so I, I chose something else instead but it it we we kind of go back to their bread and butter if you will with the next track the Cursed um the Curses has passed away this this is an interesting tune because it kind of goes right into the verses there's no real intro to speak of it just goes right into it there's this acoustic guitars throughout and what i would just describe as like haunting vocals Really, really interesting. Um, the chorus is a little more typical. This, this, what's interesting is that they're the first time, at least that I hear, there are keyboards here that really set the mood. This like haunting, mysterious, dark feel. But I didn't find the keyboards to be overpowering. And, and the acoustic guitar outro, I thought was an amazing touch. This is a good song. I like this. I don't. I, it's it's different, but it's 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 more in line with the rest of the album. Which, again, given that it's about Dracula, I think this, this is a good fit.
1: there's like this kind of um there's like this guitar that's like it made me think of eternity x of all things like okay (laughs) um i can't remember exactly what song i think it was something from the edge probably one of the darker tunes um but that that, that's imaginary like like yeah that might be it Uh, now that you think now that you mention it um I feel like this song just had a little bit of everything that I liked about this band and uh, I'm going to choose it as my song of the week. I just, um, I really dug it. Um, The, the, I think all the solos are really good. It's, I kind of thought I would end up picking one of the faster songs. And I think this one's a little bit more back to that kind of mid tempo that to sleep Perchance to scream had versus like a baptized in blood. Um, or a Harker's tale that were a little bit speedier but this one I think just had more of the overall elements that I enjoyed um, so yeah that this is this is the one I'm gonna pick and I'm I'm kind of glad that we're not picking the same song because um, this is something where I think uh, it'll be interesting to hear a segment of two different songs so um that said why don't we uh, why don't we give it a, a little bit of a listen and then we'll, we'll carry on uh, the curse is passed away by hellstar My people!
0: Thank you for letting me sink my teeth into that. That's a really, really good track, I, I have to say. Um, not my favorite, but I can certainly see why you why you liked it. Um, I'm curious about your thoughts of Benediction, because to me, this is one of the real thrashy tunes on the album. And I, I got to say, at least for myself, this one was a bit of a miss. I, I thought the vocals were good. Yeah. But I didn't love the chorus on this one, and there was just something about this track I can't really tell you why. But I thought it was a miss compared to the stuff that came before it. And and what's ironic is, it's probably the you know it's the longest song on the album. It clocks in at nearly six minutes, but it was just a bit vanilla for me, and and not really noteworthy. Not bad, just not noteworthy. And something was a miss on Benediction. Did you maybe like it more than I did, or did you kind of share those sentiments?
1: Yeah. I thought it was kind of a middle of the road kind of tune. Um, I, I think the guitar, uh, once again, the guitar work is really impressive. I thought the, uh, the guitar solo while short was probably the highlight of the song for me. Um, I don't think it was, um, it, it's, it's my least favorite song thus far of the tracks we've discussed. Um, I, I just think that the, the, the songs that preceded it were just uh, a shade better for me. Um, this, I think it was just there wasn't anything that really hooked me and as they say you know if, if you're going to get hooked you'll know it you, you know <laughs> um so yeah I'm with you there uh, it just was uh, just okay I don't think it needed to be as long as it was either
0: Does does the 8th track harsh reality hook you back in or um was this another miss another misview
1: No this is a little bit better I think and the fact that like it's of it's a short and sweet kind of thrash tune um i think it's, it's a little it fits the the vibe a little bit better it was funny because it just reminded it made me think of strange reality by sabotage this was like the uh the, the rebuttal two years earlier somehow <laughs> um harsh reality um
0: the pre-buttal if you will
1: yeah i don't think i've ever heard that word used before So just that's, made it that's, up. that's a first fantastic uh, yeah. uh we'll get that into the law book soon <laughs> um kramer at <et> all uh <laughs> Yeah, this is I, I, this is solid too. I, I like this. Um, I like this better than than Benediction, just because I think that it's um, it's it's a bit faster, and and uh, I, I think it just it it did a better job hooking me, so to speak.
0: I the first time I heard this song, I actually thought I was listening to Anthrax. I thought you were going to hate this one. If I'm being completely <laughs> honest with you, um, shout out to uh, Scotty. But no, I, I I think that this was a really 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 good track. I thought that Rivera sounded fantastic. I thought it was so short and tight and succinct that it was great. It was, it's a banger. It's a toe tapper. uh, You know, you move your head to it. I thought the instrumental sections were great. And what I loved about it is I talked about this earlier. I thought how certain parts of this album were really technical. This one was so technical that it almost had like a Watchtower vibe to it. And I, I don't, I know that you're not totally familiar with Watchtower but they're an early 90s prog metal band that also touched on these on thrash in certain ways and I I really heard it loud and clear on this track um and I liked it so much that I'm actually going to make it my song of the week so let's give a listen to harsh reality and we'll we'll be back in a minute I guess that brings us to Swirling Madness, which is another... Shout out to, shout out to Mike Crea. <laughs> <laughs> this one is a touch slower and, and kind of a welcome change after the last two tunes, uh, or at least the intro is, because when the song actually picks up, it's quite it, it speeds up pretty fast. I, I was surprised this wasn't a single. To me, this was the one that kind of screamed like possible radio play in 1989. I thought the drums and the vocals were the... Were the Um, standout parts of this and a guitar solo which was just very reminiscent of the times this is a very late late 1980s guitar solo a good tune as long as
1: we're just naming bands for no reason at all or or what seems like (laughs) no reason at all this song reminded me of Mercury rising <laughs> oh my God. That, that is a that is
0: a deep cut what yeah. about it? I don't reminding- even
1: think it's the first time we've mentioned Mercury Rising on this podcast, but um it's kind of more so like that how the vo- the way that the vocals were mixed is kind of like this echoey kind of vibe and for whatever reason, like the high the high pitched vocals of James Rivera reminded me of some of the high vocals from um. From the, that, uh, what was it? Um, Halfway to forever album. Um, I don't know. It just that that's it, it. Kind of just gave off that vibe to me. Maybe I'm nuts. Um, but again, I thought of Eternity X at one point while listening to this album. So,
0: well, who the hell knows? Just wait because I've got <laughs> some real thoughts on the next one, and and we're gonna talk about some obscure references. The penultimate track here is called "Von An Lebem Desto Strum," and I'm sure I absolutely butchered that do you want to talk
1: it's getting better i want you to know thank
0: you thank you um (laughs) talk to me about this this track it it comes in at just under two minutes it it is really different and i kind of want to give you a chance to talk before i share my thoughts
1: i mean this to me sounds like it came right out of a dracula movie soundtrack and i think that that's why it actually fits the album really well and kind kind of um, it, it kind of it is like a, an intro to the the final track, but um, it it's very dramatic and like the it's like this really cool just piano song. I don't know, like I just feel like it, like uh, like somebody called Bella Lugosi because this is uh, this could have come right out of a, an old Dracula movie, in my opinion.
0: I cannot listen to this song. And not think about Peter's character from forgetting Sarah Marshall. Every time I hear this, I kept thinking of him doing that piece for Mila Kunis, like that—that that, you know, his Dracula his, musical. That's what this is, and like this is—I'd I, I, be shocked if the inspiration for that wasn't this song. The piano, the chords, the dark, brooding synth sounds. I mean, it's all there. The only thing missing are the ridiculous lyrics. But to me, this was a complete precursor to that um, unforgettable piece of cinema nearly 20 years later.
1: Um, yeah, if you subscribe to the Patreon, I will sing the songs from uh, <laughs> the, the the Dracula's Lament by Jason Segel. Um, so that, how about that for a little incentive? Yeah. Um, but yeah, oh my god, that is an absolute perfect, um, I'm so glad that I've actually seen that movie a million times enough to know what the hell it is that you're <laughs> referring to. It's actually one of my all-time favorite uh, comedies, and one of probably my top three or four, like, comedies of the last 15 years, like, like post-2000 comedies, that it's up there with, like, for you know, a 40-year-old virgin and, and uh, uh, The
0: Hangover and stuff like that. Yeah, uh,
1: there's one of my all-time favorites. Is uh, another one with Jason Segel. The one with uh, the one with him and Paul Rudd where they go to see Rush in concert. Oh yeah, Um, um, I can't believe me.
0: I know the movie. I've seen it. Great movie.
1: It's one of my all-time favorite movies, and I'm forgetting it like a jerk. Um, (laughs) But uh, if you haven't seen it, you if you haven't seen it, and you're a fan of Rush, it is. Kind of like a like a, a a secret, not a secret, but it's it's kind of like an understated Rush tribute movie, um, kind of like
0: Crownlands is as yeah, a
1: novel. I love You Man is the name of the, yes. the movie. I, I, I it's probably my favorite of the the of like favorite comedy that's come out post two thousand. I just think that Paul Rudd and Jason Siegel are phenomenal together, and and just the fact that they add like their love of Rush is kind of uh an ongoing part of the movie um just makes it all the more it's almost like if you've ever seen the movie um uh boy i'm not good at any names <laughs> at all today um this this is another uh paul rudd movie this one with um sean william scott uh who uh role models was the name of the movie uh, sean william scott Better known as Stifler from the American Pie movies, this was a movie that was kind of a love letter to LARPing and kiss. And so, whereas uh, you know this other, you know, the first movie I mentioned is more is like a, a, a love letter to Rush and um, and guys that don't have uh, any friends
0: uh, <laughs> and
1: need to find a need to find a best man in time for their wedding, but they don't really have any any close friends. Uh, Two. Two great movies. Check them both out. I think they both came out around the same time. Um, also, subscribe to the Patreon if you want to hear us talk about more of a non-metal pop culture type crap. Because uh, we'll be doing—we're going to actually record an episode next week. Uh, just kind of shooting the shooting the shit about uh, non-music stuff. So uh, hopefully you'll uh, subscribe and-, and you get to listen to that. Um, if if you don't think we're just uh, two idiots that should only be talking about <laughs> metal and nothing else. Um, Anyway, uh, back to the task at hand. Uh, What did you think of the final track? Um, uh,
0: Alilaria and Everon. I'm just happy that you pronounced it and that I didn't have to. Um, This this tune has a bit of an epic feel to it, and it kind of gives everybody in the band one more chance to shine. I got a sense of a little bit of a neoclassical vibe here too, kind of like the instrumental track we spoke about earlier, but really tight riffs, soaring vocals. And there are parts of this song where it kind of you kind of think it's about to go off the rails, but then they, they bring you back in a very solid way, probably because of the guitar playing and the riffs that kind of bring you back on track. It was an odd way to end the album, but I liked it. I just thought it was... Um, like a, a bit all over the place, but I, I tend to gravitate towards songs like that. So it, it wasn't a miss for me by any means. And it kind of puts a, a cherry on top of what was otherwise a very good listen. But, and apparently the dogs agree. So I guess that's cool. Um, yeah, I, 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 I how, 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 yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my mute button is failing me. Good, continue. Yeah, I mean, I, I, apparently the dogs agree with my sentiment. I was wondering if you do as well.
1: Uh, the the dogs are big fans of the high notes on the uh on the song um yeah i thought this was a solid it's a solid way to kind of cap things off um it's i don't know that it was my favorite i i just think that like the first six songs were really the album came out really really strong um and so i feel like it didn't hold up towards the end as much as the beginning for me personally but i thought it was a solid ending it's the song doesn't overstay its welcome at uh at just under four minutes. But um, overall, this was a real, uh, an enjoyable experience. And and once again, I want to thank um, Chris Willenbrock for literally handing me this album. I mean, how often is it that somebody hands you a CD in this day and age? You know, it's, uh, it's, it's something that not just was, I thought, a really nice gesture and made me feel nice, but like it also just, was like that feeling, like of of holding a physical <laughs> CD in your hand. That's so far now, but just is so uh, is so nostalgic to me. And it was just kind of cool to like bring it home, have something I physically held in my hand. And then immediately put the disc in my computer and rip it to my iTunes and then put it in a pile of CDs <laughs> to collect dust
0: in the basement. But you have the artwork and you have the liner notes. So that's that yeah. is cool. Definitely I good- have the
1: memory of somebody thinking enough of me to hand me an album that they thought I would like. And so to me that is uh, I will keep that album forever. So thank you again, Chris. Very very awesome gesture. I'm sorry it took me ten months to talk about it on the podcast, but you know, better late than never, I suppose. Score of one to ten, what did you think of the album? Uh I thought it was very solid. it's not like my go to style, but I like you mentioned before, this kind of the thrash style is starting to kind of grow on me um you know it it's interesting that we listened to this the same week that Metallica and Overkill would release new albums uh megadeth had a new album last year that i really enjoyed although i've always you know i've never been shy about being always being a fan of megadeth um i am woefully ignorant about slayer Uh, that's the band we're gonna have to talk about one of these days and and uh and i'm gonna need an anthrax is gonna need to uh to i think i think there's gonna be a, a redemption for anthrax in the future um I just think that that one album we talked about just happened to be a miss for me. But I I
0: think. I'll tell you what would be curious. And I'm I'm not saying we're going to do this, but I almost want to revisit that album just to see with the benefit of hindsight and your newly developed. No, let
1: let it it die. Just
0: let it die. I I, I figured I'd give it a shot. I'll pick a different different Anthrax album. Score score of 1 to 10 for Hellstar's Nosferatu.
1: Uh, it's a seven for me. Uh, just a very solid experience. Didn't overstay. It's welcome. Um, I was impressed and a little bit surprised by the, the technical, technical musicianship on display. Um, but uh, really solid stuff. And um, I think that if I if I was a little bit older and this was something that I had listened to at the time that it came out, you know um, I know our friend Charles was saying that he was really looking forward to this episode and that, um, you know, he's a little bit older than us. And so I think that like, because he was probably listening to metal at the time that this came out, there's that nostalgia value that for me, I can't have a lot of nostalgia for something I started really listening to about a week ago. So, uh, right. That part always is a little bit, it always kind of like takes a couple of points, I think, off the board. Um, but, um, again, like I, I still thought it was solid enough to, to, to give a seven to, uh, I'm curious what, uh, what you thought.
0: No, I, I'm, I'm completely with you with the score. I thought it was a really good album. It's a band that, um, as I said, I, I knew nothing about. I'm happy I got to check out. It's a band that I think that, I would like to hear some of their newer material just to see how they've changed their sound, what it sounds like with a little bit better production, etc. And and really I just I like James Rivera's vocals, so I thought that that was a plus as well. I thought it was a really good album and a good release. So um, 7
1: for you as well? Yeah,
0: 7 for me as well. I'm I'm right there with you. And um before we uh talk about next week's thrash album, a couple of news bits that I I really was excited to talk about. There's a band talking about me being woefully ignorant. There's a band out of Portland, Oregon, Agalok, that has reformed after about an eight year hiatus. These guys um, were around for about, I don't know, five or six albums and a bunch of EPs as well in the early 2000s and into 2010 and 2012. This was a band I was woefully ignorant about, but a number of people reached out and actually sent me tracks saying, you have to hear this band um, now that they're getting back together. And I listened and it was, it reminded me a lot of an early Opeth sound with a touch more doom and a touch more um, symphonic elements. I guess we'll we'll say really interesting stuff. I am going to go back and check these guys out, but they are getting back together for a limited run of shows. I'd be shocked if we didn't see them stateside in some way, shape or form have you ever heard of these guys, let alone heard a note of their music? Heard of them, never heard them. Well, maybe we're going to have to change that coming up because we're just really interesting stuff. And I I, I was uh, the little that I've heard this week has made me go full throttle. And I literally picked up their entire discography. I want to hear all of it. So just it just kind of struck a chord with me. And it's kind of my style, you know, that kind of quirky prog and that dark, you know, dark brooding how, how
1: many albums do they have and how far back do they go? Just so, out of I,
0: so they have about five albums and a bunch of EPs. Um, and I think they go back to the late... Uh, let me see. I, it's a good question. I, I, should, I know that they were around around the turn of the century uh, with albums, uh, you know, 2002, 2010. Uh, I don't know. I think they have an album or two that go back to the late 90s as well. So right around the turn of the century.
1: Cool. Yeah, interesting. I'll be curious to hear... Your thoughts and if you if you happen to think it's something that uh, I would enjoy.
0: I don't know about that, but I'll definitely listen on behalf of both of us and I'll let you know. And the other thing that I thought was really, really noteworthy, uh, an interview with John Oliva, and we talked about Zach Stevens earlier, but John Oliva says that there will be one more, one last upcoming sabotage album and a tour to follow. As a, his way of saying goodbye to everyone, um, hopefully in a metaphorical sense. Needless to say, uh, we have a new frontrunner for most anticipated album that is not yet out. Obviously, no date has been uh, – they don't have a date yet, but they have been in the studio. They've started putting ideas together, and um, I will travel anywhere to go see this. I, if, they, if this doesn't come stateside, I will be flying to Europe to see Sabotage play one more time. You know what? I don't think we're going to have to worry about that because I think there'll be a
1: show, at least a show in the US, at least one. And wherever it is, we'll be going. Um, So if it's in, if there's one show and it's in San Jose, California, I'm going. uh, The end. Um, There's, this is uh, the culmination of my entire, like, like metal, metal fan hood, if you will. Um, and it's, um, the band didn't ever really have a send off, like a true send off. They just kind of fizzled away, but not really because you always had Trans Siberian Orchestra and John Oliva's Pain and Circle to Circle, and, and it's kind of like those were. Corollaries of Sabotage that continued, but this is, I mean, God, talk about a band that, like, you haven't heard anything from, and then John Oliva just dropped so much information in this interview, named every single person that's a part of it, like, this has every living main member of Sabotage involved, um, Jeff Plate will be doing the drums, but Steve Wackelt will be drumming on a couple of songs, Uh, John Oliva, Zach Stevens are both going to be singing. There's going to be at least one duet, which, oh my God. Um, Al Petrelli, Chris Caffrey, uh, and Johnny Middleton. um, It's pretty much everybody that is still alive that was part of Sabotage is going to be a part of this. Um, This is the way to go out. This is what I was hoping that we would see someday. I am so excited. Um, and just 20 years of sabotage songs in John Oliva's head being created and saved and probably even stuff that they had that they did that made demos with with Chris Oliva when he was still alive that are gonna see the light of day I'll be shocked if this isn't a double album like the way Streets was supposed to be like I have a feeling it's just gonna pour out and I, I'm here for it I am so excited this is pretty much as big news as news gets for me as far as metal being a metal fan goes so uh huge absolutely huge yeah
0: this was a this was a bombshell and uh I don't really have much to add other than I'll say it again I'll be traveling for this show I will do my best to catch multiple shows on this because I have a feeling that this truly is the end and I want to be there for as much of it as I possibly can
1: yeah and uh, and I'm glad that well, will actually go into it knowing that, uh, you know, um, it's, I think that's just, you know, as, as it always should have been, there should, we should there should have been like a, a true reunion. I think other than that one show at Vakken, I believe really their last show was probably that weapons of mass destruction show at prog power maybe they did a few european shows after that but um, i don't
0: i don't know about that but either way zach wasn't involved with that so it was right. still only an offshoot like the, the whole yeah. and then circle the circle and john oliva's pain toured together but again you were talking you know that that didn't have caffrey at most of the shows and stuff like that yeah. so it's always like bits and pieces but not the full package for me i wanted to see and they, they were able
1: to do this at Vakken, but i wanted to see that all of them on stage together, um, you know, at the very least the wake of the dead winter, dead wake of Magellan lineup of sabotage that included Al Petrelli and included Zach Stevens and included, uh, Chris Caffrey along with, um, you know, longtime members, John Oliva and and Johnny Lee Middleton and, uh, drummer Jeff plate also who joined the band, uh, for dead winter dead. Um, so yeah, yeah, this is this is absolutely huge. Um, fingers, honestly though, fingers crossed that this is somehow something that we can get to see at Prague Power because I I think that being that with something we're planning on attending anyway, uh, that would save us a trip. So that would be, that would be nice.
0: It doesn't matter who the rest of the lineup is. This is, doesn't uh, matter anyway. <laughs> ex, exactly. Well said. Um, and that brings us to next week. I, I mentioned a couple of times that we were doing another thrash album. This request comes from Patreon member, Charles Florio, who wanted to hear um, the debut album by, flotsam and jetsam it was released july 4th 1986 the album is doomsday for the deceiver and this is not borderline thrash this is uh you know 1980s thrash done in a very very cool way i listened to this album once this week just to kind of get a taste of it i really liked it i can't wait to listen to it throughout the rest of next week and then talk about it with you I think it's good that we're listening to this album now, and maybe not two years ago, because I don't know that you would have had the same appreciation for it. But I think you might like this one. I think that I think you're actually going to be really impressed by this one. Well,
1: I'm looking forward to it. I, I I've listened to the, the little bit of the first track just because it would come on right after Hellstar in my uh, Metal Exchange playlist of things, and it was it kind of seamlessly went. From the last track of Hellstar to the first track of Flotsam and Jetsam, that the fact that like I was about a minute into the song, I was like, "Wait a minute, this isn't the same band anymore." So uh, I'm looking forward to this. Um, a big thank you to uh, Charles, who is um, who is our first um, our first headline headliner band tier uh, Patreon member and we appreciate that and that's why he's getting the uh the first request of the patreon era of the metal exchange and uh speaking of which um it uh we we will be doing our very first uh metal exchange patreon uh chat uh zoom call type thing on tuesday evening so if you wish to be a part of that um you're gonna want to sign up for the headliner band here by uh by Tuesday evening uh, we'll be doing that. Um, And uh, it's really just going to be an open forum uh, talk about what it doesn't even necessarily have to be about uh, music. If you want to talk about uh, uh, the hockey playoffs or uh, movies that with, jason siegel and i can't remember the titles <laughs> yeah. to
0: um you know whatever uh, it'll that, it'll definitely a- be a fun chat for sure and uh expect and then uh, other patrons can expect a, a bonus podcast next week so that'll be fun as well uh thank you for listening if you're interested in helping the show join our patreon think about subscribing uh at the very least give us a like and a follow so other people can help find the show and then uh after we do some flotsam next week I will come back with um, another album for episode 151 and I've got a couple of ideas I'll probably I was going to do a thrash album but I think it's a little too much so I'll I'll do something Uh, that's not
1: after Flotsam and Jetsam I mean the the, the obvious choice is the the Little Mermaid soundtrack (laughs) isn't
0: it? well come under the sea with us and uh, I will talk to you next (laughs) week Uh, enjoy your week my friend I will talk to you soon
1: All right, go kiss the girl